Now it's not making the cool noises. I'm a little disappointed. All right. Sorry, one second here. <clears throat> I'm going to start with a little story for you. A bishop advertised a job to ring the bell in his church tower. The only job applicant was a hunchback with no arms. The bishop asked, how can you do the job? You can't pull the rope. The hunchback said, well, I have a plan, but we have to go to the top of the tower where the bell is. So they climbed the stairs. Has anybody heard this? Don't, it's not me if you Okay, good. They go to the top of the stairs. And they climb to the top, and the bishop says, Okay, show me your plan. The hunchback runs and jumps at the bell and strikes it with his head. Sure enough, the bell rings. The bishop says, That is amazing, but you will get a headache. The hunchback replies, No problem, I'll get used to it. And he gets the job. One day, the hunchback decides to put a little extra into his bell ringing, so he stepped back, and he took a running start and jumped at the bell and hit it with his head. And it had a great tone, but he missed a step coming back from the bell, and he fell down the tower, and he died on impact. The a crowd gathered around, and the police arrived. And a bystander asked the police on the scene, Do you know this man? And the police said, No. But his face rings a bell. It was so worth it. Stop. Stop. Okay. Let's <clears throat> see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, this one's maybe a little more church oriented for you. I mean, the last one happened in a church, but this one, um, we got a lot more people to relate to. It. A man is struggling to find a parking space. Lord, he prays, I can't stand this. If you open up a space for me, I swear I'll give up the drink and go to church every Sunday. It says Mass, but we ain't Catholic, so we go to church every Sunday. Suddenly, the clouds part, and the sun shines on an empty parking spot. Without hesitation, the man says, never mind, I found one. We all laugh, but you definitely know there's people like that. All right. Um... I'm going to start with an excerpt from the Bible here that if you attend Wednesday night Bible study, this is going to sound really familiar because we just read it. And uh, if you haven't heard it, well, welcome to it. Uh, you get to skip out on a lot of stuff. Uh, we're in the book of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah does not really pull any punches. God has told him not to. And so he speaks to the nation of Judah, Judah being kind of like part of Israel. Israel and Judah had split because there was a separation in who should take over after the death of King Solomon. So they've split into two kingdoms. And Judah um, traditionally was faithful to the same God as Israel was meant to be, although Israel kind of had a little rougher time about staying where they should be and staying in their lane. But anyway, um, Isaiah has been speaking to Judah and telling them what God has to say, and God is not very pleased. But we'll start in Isaiah 36, 4 through 10. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Say ye now to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? I say, sayest thou, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. 
Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Lo, the truest in the staff of this broken reed on Egypt, whereon, if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all that trust in him. But if thou say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away, and said to Judah and to, to Jerusalem, ye shall worship before this altar? Now therefore give pledges, I pray thee, to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give thee two thousand horses, if thou be able on thy part to set riders upon them. How then wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's servants, and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? And am I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said unto me, Go up to this land and destroy it. All right, so that is the new King James Version, which I am sure you're going to be pleased to know is way easier to read and understand than the original King James Version. That right there, that's simplified. Um, when I say it's simplified, I mean I'm reading it like that is hard to follow if I didn't already know kind of what the text was there. So I'm going to explain this for you a little bit. In verse 4, uh, this is Rabshakeh, which is a commander of the armies of the king of Assyria. And Assyria has conquered Israel. Um, Israel no longer governs themselves. Assyria is in charge of it. They're enslaved. Judah is still independent, but they kind of try to play nice with Assyria because they know Assyria is kind of looking at them like you're next and they don't want to be next. So um, what's their reaction? We'll see it a little bit further in. Um, in verse 5, it says, uh, I have counsel and strength for war. Thou sayest, I have counsel and strength for war. So Israel feels pretty confident that they're smart and they're ready for a fight and they're not too worried about it. I mean, they're worried enough to raise an army, but they think they got it under control. And the commander says, now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? He says, well, you guys aren't cutting it on your own. So who is it that you're leaning on? that gives you all the confidence to think that you're going to be able to stand against us. In the next verse it says, You trust in the staff of this broken reed of Egypt, whereon a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. He says, I know you've been talking to Egypt. You're looking at Egypt to come up here and fight this fight for you, and you think that's going to be enough to stop. But when you lean on that cane, it's not going to work like a cane should. It's going to be pointy on top, and it's going to go right through your hand. So what he's saying is, you're going to lean on Egypt, but Egypt is only going to hurt you. It is not going to help you. And it sounds like he's probably right about that. In the next verse, if you say to me, we trust in the Lord, is it not he whose high, high places and altars Hezekiah has taken away? So as I said before, Judah was in a place where they traditionally followed Yahweh. They traditionally followed God, God the Father, but they had slipped away. Um, there had been a few generations of kings between Solomon and him where no longer did they look to God and his opinion on what they should do. They took things into their own hands and they were trying to take care of themselves and they um, started incorporating foreign nations and, and letting everybody in and kind of looking to see what everybody else has got. Asherah poles, let's get those in here. Everybody else is making sacrifices to Moloch, let's give that a go. And so they're, they're taking in, they've even set up altars to foreign gods in the temples that were originally dedicated to Yahweh. And so the commander of the army says, I know what you've done. Are you about to tell me you think God's going to come and save you after you've thrown everything about him away? 
You really think I'm scared of that? He's not coming for you. And then he actually says in the last verse, am I now to come up without the Lord against this land and destroy it? It's God who told me to come up here and do it. So this guy, he worships other gods, but God still uses him. And he knew when he was speaking to God, God said, you're going to come up here and you're going to take him over. It's time. So the commander says, you lean on Egypt, the cane that will pierce your hand. And that is kind of the focus of what we're doing. Uh, today we're going to be talking about what cane you're leaning on. Uh, he says, you have counsel and might for war. And clearly Judah was not leaning on God. That was not their cane. They were leaning on Egypt. Uh, Hezekiah, I'll hold the skip ahead here. So Hezekiah has called for Egypt, and there will be verses that we're going to be going through that will show why that's not a good idea. But we can look at this, and we can look at Israel all the times that they've fallen away from God, and they will start, you know, worshiping other gods or, you know, trying to do things themselves or, you know, uh, run away from God in certain cases. And we can look at them and be like, why would you guys make the same mistake over and over and over again? And yet, here we are in our own situations this very day. We've all got our own canes we're trying to lean on. Is it the right one? Or is it one that's going to pierce your hand? People want to feel like they're in control. Uh, I've used this reference before. It was a long time ago, so sorry if you've heard this, but it was something that was really impactful for me whenever I first heard about it. And it really makes sense. I don't know why I never thought of it. But um, if you ever watch baseball, you'll know when the batter comes up, you know, he doesn't just walk up and just go step in the box and bring it up and get ready to hit the ball. I mean, maybe some of them do that. But usually you'll watch them and they'll be out there taking their practice swings and then they'll walk over to the box and they'll turn around and they'll drag it across the dirt and they'll tap on one side of their shoe and then they'll swing it around in a circle and then bring it up like they got different things. Um, forget his name. There was a Japanese baseball player who always used to kind of do this thing where he would like put his arm out. It was sometimes they'll do stuff where you're like, it's kind of weird looking. But why do they do that? Does it make them hit better? I mean, I guess maybe insofar as they feel mentally prepared and it helps them to get ready for a hit. I, maybe it helps their numbers if it's a psychological game. But the reason that people do that is because really when you go up to hit a baseball, you're not really in control. You can do the best you can. You can practice. You can try to be warmed up. You can, you can work and work and work and work. But ultimately, there's an element of luck to hitting that ball that you're just never going to be able to overcome. You can't hit 100. It never, I mean, you can do it for a few hits maybe if you're really good, but your career, it's not going to happen. So there's some luck involved. So they come up and they do these things because it gives them the feeling that they're in control. It helps them feel like they're going to be able to manage this hit. And there's lots of other times people do things like this. Um, in the same time that I learned about this, you know, there were nations that depended on fish for their food and fishermen would have rituals that they would go through before they go out. Because can you guarantee you're going to come back with fish? No, you might be a great fisherman. But... There's a luck involved. You're never going to be able to get that fish 100% of the time. It just doesn't happen. And I, I'm using the word luck, but really the word I probably should be using is more like fortune because it's really not, there's no such thing as luck. I'll talk on that a little bit more here in just a little bit.
But the point is, people need to feel like they're in control. And Isaiah points out that Judah was boastful about their control over the situation. They were pretty cocky about it. They're like, we got this, we're fine. And they were looking at Egypt and giving them that sense. But as I've said, control is an illusion. A man might have the world at his fingertips one day, and then the next day the wind blows in the wrong direction, and it's all gone. The smart people could be poor, and dumb people may be rich. Um, you can work and work and work, but you cannot guarantee success. It is God's will that will determine the outcome of your actions. You can choose what you do. You can choose whether you listen. But whether you find money, whether you find love, whether you find a lot of these things, and I say love in a sort of figurative sense, whether you find a person that you're looking for, it's, it's not really up to you. You can't force this issue. God will make it for you. If you read in Isaiah, it will explicitly answer why Israel and Judah ended up in the situation that they were in. Lots and lots and lots of verses about them turning away and God saying, I am going to smite you, which is why he told Assyria, come up here and take care of this. And Assyria was not afraid of God intervening because they took one look at Israel and said they are not ready. I would be afraid if they had God on their side, but they don't. What did Assyria do? They knew Judah by their fruits. They looked at them and knew exactly what they were looking at. That applies to us. I'm sure it is not the first time you've ever heard you will know them by their fruits. Pastor Phyllis said it from the pulpit more than once. If your fruits do not show that you are leaning on the correct cane, guess what? You're not leaning on the correct cane, and that thing is going to go through your hand. Your fruits need to reflect that. Hezekiah should not have been surprised that God was displeased and that Assyria was going to come and conquer them. If you look in Isaiah 31, 1 through 4, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Yet he is wise and will bring disaster and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of those who work iniquity. Now those Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, both he who helps will fall, and he who is helped will fall down, and they will perish together. So Isaiah has already delivered the message from God. You're leaning on the wrong staff, just like he said. And when they go out to help you, I'm going to destroy them, and I'm going to destroy you. And I didn't get the verse in here, but he further says, I'm mad at everybody. There is nobody that is on God's side at this point. He is mad with the whole world. But he's got his chosen people here that he is going to teach a lesson. So he calls out to Assyria and says, come get it. There are different ways that we might try to take control away from God because we want a different staff to lean on. Maybe you worry about bills and you, you think your job is keeping you afloat. Got to have that job because if you don't have that job, you're not going to be able to make ends meet. You've got it in the wrong order. Yes, the job is getting you money to pay for the bills, 
but it's not the job that is supplying you. It's God that supplied you the job. If you lose that job tomorrow, how devastated are you going to be? If it's your whole world upside down, you've got the wrong source that you're looking at. You're looking at the job as the source of your welfare. It is not. It is God that is the source of your welfare. If you lose that job, God is still in control. He doesn't lose it just because you don't have that job. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'm sure most of us have heard that quote before. You seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things will be added unto you. So if you are doing what I've asked you to do, says God, I will make sure you've got everything you're going to need. And then some. Your cup will runneth over. If Judah had been seeking God, how would this outcome have been different? Well, fortunately, we can actually see the answer to that later on in the, in the chapter. But uh, I don't have that verse right here, so we'll move on for now. Don't let your employer become your form of Egypt. Don't look at your job and lean on that staff. Another thing you might do is rely on, you know, friends or family. Maybe um, when you're by yourself, you don't really feel so confident, but you get with your crowd of friends, your group of friends. You're like, yeah, I'm good. We got this. I'm fine. Friends are good to have unless you're leaning on them and it keeps you from leaning on God. How many have had a friend who stabbed you in the back? Thought you had a friend, I guess maybe would be a better way to phrase that. People are still people, whether they're your friend or not. People are going to let you down. And if they don't let you down, well, then you're fortunate because nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes and we're all going to hurt somebody sometime. But when you're leaning on your friends, that is a shaky foundation. That is a way to get yourself hurt. Just like your job, God provides you the friends. And if those friends aren't showing you their fruits, then maybe God didn't provide those friends. And you definitely shouldn't lean on them. Sometimes people want to take away God's authority because they want something that they should not have. Maybe you've asked God to give you something and you've, you assume you've not gotten an answer. Actually, the answer was no, but it sounds like no answer when you really want to hear yes. And uh, this may be the case for Judah, you know. They, they take in the altars of other gods. Why? Because they see other nations with gold. They see other nations with women. Yeah, and we can do that same thing. Sometimes we want something, and it doesn't matter what God has to say about it. We're going to leave his will behind to go make sure we get it, because we think we know better about what's good for us. I want it. And it makes me think of the phrase, people say, why would God make me this way if he didn't want me to whatever? You can fill that in with whatever sin you want. God made you with discretion. God made you with the ability to make your own choices. He did not make you to make bad choices. And in fact, he gives you a big list of the choices that you should not make. When you make those choices, you might rationalize and make excuses saying, well, God made me this way. No, God made you with the ability to make the choice. It's you that makes the choice. God doesn't force you to do anything. And sometimes we take away God's power and lean on the wrong cane because, well, I say cane staff. If you look at the title, I should refer to it as staff. But anyway, um, we don't like the answer that we get. Um, there's a family that has visited several times, um, and they're close personal friends with the pastor, uh, the Vincent family. 
and they had uh, a daughter, Jessica, and a son-in-law, Wesley. And Wesley one day was in a very bad car accident, and he, I believe his spine was severed, but he was still alive. And he was alive for uh, a couple of few days after the accident. And we prayed for him. And when I prayed for him, I had absolute faith that he was going to recover. I just felt it. I was, I, I don't, I'm not sure I've been more sure of something spiritually than I thought God's about to perform a miracle in him and he's going to walk out of that hospital. And I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked when he died. And uh, so we made that prayer and we made that prayer earnestly and I believed and he still died. And that took me a little bit. It, it was more than just like, uh, you know, sometimes you pray and you don't get an answer. That one hit me a little bit. I was like, oh God, why? I was sure. Why would you do this? The Bible says not to lean on your own understanding. I like to reference Job a lot. Um, I gave a whole sermon about Job and not leaning on your own understanding. And the reason I think I really connect with that whole thing with Job is because that lesson is one for me to learn. Uh, where were you when the foundations of the earth were formed? Where were you when the animals were named? Where were you when the universe was created? Oh, that's right, you weren't there and you can't do any of that stuff. You don't get it. You got this little tiny human brain and I'm God and I know and you don't. And that's the way it is. What we do know is what God tells us, and God says that he loves you. He loves all of you. He loves even the people that are failing him. He will punish those that are doing wrong, but he still loves everybody, and he wants everybody to come to him. But it's, it can be difficult when you don't get the answer that you're looking for. And... Um, in the same way, Isaiah was going through a similar struggle to what I had when I made a prayer, I made a request, and I thought, for sure, this was going to go somewhere. And it didn't land the way I wanted. In Isaiah 49, 3 through 4, it says, He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. So Isaiah says, I went through this, I labored, and it's for nothing. I see absolutely no results from this. It was a waste of time, but I give it to God. God wanted me to do it. We did it. I trust that he's got a reason for it, even though I don't see it. And earlier in the chapter, Isaiah was, well, chapter in the book, Isaiah was also pointing out that when he got this prophecy, he was so upset, he was so distraught as to what was going to happen to his country and his people that he, his stomach churned and he felt sick. And he described it as being like a woman in labor. He was so distraught and overwhelmed with the visions that God was giving him about what terrible things are going to happen to his country. And not only that, after he did what God asked, he still saw it all as going nowhere and doing nothing. But it wasn't meaningless. He gave it to God, and as it turns out, oh, well, surprise, God has a reason. So Hezekiah has, takes over for a king who doesn't follow God, and he initially wasn't really doing a lot to follow God. But then 
after Assyria comes up and starts talking about how are you going to stand against us? You can't lean on Egypt. They start mocking God, and Hezekiah takes the script of them mocking God and lays it out before God in the temple and says, Daddy, Daddy, look what they said about you. You see what they did? Are you going to let them do that? Go get them. And sure enough, God says, okay, well, yeah, right. I'm not going to let that stand. So he goes and he protects them. And Hezekiah serves the Lord thereafter. And he's remembered today as being uh, a king who followed God. And I'm going to say Isaiah played a role in that. Um, God had him there for a reason, and we are still reading about it today, even though it seemed pointless at the time. So when you pray for something, you want something, you know, I pray for him to live. I pray for that miracle, and I don't see it. Doesn't mean there wasn't a miracle. I'm sure there was still a miracle. It wasn't the miracle I was looking for. It wasn't the one I expected, but it's there. Whatever you're holding on to, you got to give it over to God. Because he is the one that's in control. You can grab onto that cane all you want. You're not in control. And the only way you're going to be stable is if you get the cane that is God. I was originally going to write the sermon uh, about Daniel. I was really thinking about that. And then I ended up getting carried in this other direction. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they were contemporaries with Daniel. They were there at the same time. And Nebuchadnezzar says, you're going to bow and worship the statue of me. I made a super tall statue. It's gold. It's awesome. You're going to worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were enslaved uh, Jews who said, we are not going to worship that statue. And Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, well, We've got ways to make this thing happen. You sure you don't want to do it? And they're like, yeah, we're sure. So they take him to the fiery furnace, and he says, you're going to bow and worship me, or I'm going to pitch you into that furnace. And what does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? They say, God will save us. And even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him and not you, which made Nebuchadnezzar very mad. But right there shows that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had faith. They believed, I'm sure with all their heart, that God was going to save them. But they also knew they didn't know God's will. And God's will might be for them to die in a fiery furnace, which sounds like a lot of people here, they go, well, God is so cruel. You don't understand. You don't get the beginning of the picture. You think that's cruel. If you saw the whole map, you get the whole thing you will understand God has his reasons and he has told you the truth that he loves you and he wants you to prosper. That's not always going to look the way you think it will. Just like when Wesley died, I expected that miracle. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego expected their miracle and they saw it. It's true for a lot of the struggles that we go through that the only way you're going to find stability is in God, even if you don't understand it in the moment. Whether you had parents that were abusive, and you're asking yourself, why? Why would you give me parents that are abusive? Only God knows that. If you have to watch a loved one die, you might ask, God, why? And only He knows. But because only God knows, and I'm not just using that as a term to say, I don't know. God does know. You can lean on Him. He has a purpose. He has a reason. And you can count on that because he tells you as much. 
You've got to quit trying to cling to control so that you can keep your pain and you can keep your sorrow and you can keep your unforgiveness and your rage or your greed or your lust or your pride. Quit clinging to those things. When you put them down and give them to God, you will finally find the cane you can lean on. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for giving us this day. And uh, Lord, the words, I thank you for delivering them. And I ask that you would help them to be received by each and every one here today and listening today online that they could further their relationship with you and grow in a new way that it would help bring glory to you and uh, bring your word to others. Lord, help us to fulfill the role that you've made us for that, that we could reach out and try to save others who don't know you and give them the peace and hope that comes with knowing that you are in control, knowing that you are God. And Lord, we thank you for the gift that was Jesus Christ dying on the cross so that we could be saved and with you for eternity. And we don't want anybody to make it out without understanding that gift and knowing it's there for them and giving them that choice, Lord. Help us to bring that to, to those who don't know you with the knowledge that they need to make an informed decision instead of basing it on lies. Lord, we thank you for giving us this mission and the ability to do it. And I ask that you would go with each and every one of us here. Um, bless us with safety and, and help us to get back with our families today. And Lord, as we're going through worship, help us to just keep our minds clear and give you the worship and praise that you're due. We love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.